The Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone podcast is brought to you by Evolve Health. Evolve Health believes that a healthy lifestyle should be simple. That's why they created the best natural, science-driven products that are simple, clean, and great tasting. Replace your bad habits with smart choices. Replace your current spending and save money. And you can get healthier and stay healthier with Evolve. The Evolve Reboot Program is designed to help your body address inflammation and leptin sensitivity naturally with the help of their convenient, nutritious products. The products, plus their healthy eating guidelines, help the body begin to lose fat for good. And with products geared towards performance and recovery, athletes love Evolve too. With the very best part of Evolve is their social and humanitarian aspect of their business platform. The Hope Movement, powered by Evolve's Buy One, Nourish Two initiative, is changing lives around the world. For more information, please visit the website, twofitcrazies.com, and click on the podcast sponsor tab at the top of the page. Hello, it is Christine Conti. And Brian Prendergast. And we are Two Fit Crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. How are you doing, Brian? I'm very good. I'm off the wall We're right like now. giddy. We're giddy today. So we are so giddy because we've got this freaking fantastic guest coming up, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but before we say anything about him from straight away from the other side of the country in San Diego where it's 80 degrees and we're freezing our butts off here on the Jersey Shore. Last week, we spoke with the ladies of Badassery. It was cool. It was really cool. I and love them. Samantha and Kathy, who really are the creators of the whole Badassery tribe, they've online magazines, they've got workshops, um, you name it, such support, online presence, really building your brand and supporting just going out and going after your dreams. And they really started with an idea. And 45 days later, they came out with their first online publication of Badassery Magazine. And now I think they just dropped um, the 21st publication, I think just came out. It was a body issue, really celebrating. February's edition. Yeah, February's yeah. edition um, yesterday came out. And um, whenever you hear this, but it came out in February, just really celebrating, you know, your People's body. bodies, yeah. all different. It was amazing. Right. Um, so get a chance. Take a look at that. Listen to that um, website or listen to that podcast and take a look at their website and take a look at the magazine if you can. And it's um, cool that that was their 21st uh, ep- uh, edition because it was our 21st episode. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. That's the universe. So bringing it together. <laughs> um, but I got to ask them what, what, what it meant to be a badass, which was really cool because they had said it was, you know, when you literally – stop in your own tracks or someone stops in their tracks and looks at you and is in awe. And I thought that was really cool. For whatever reason that may be. It was just, yeah, I like it. And you didn't have to have like, you know, a shaved head or like spiky spikes coming out of your face. It was like, whatever it is you're doing, someone stops and looks at you in awe. I thought that was so cool. It's the truth. Oh my gosh. So... Check that out for yeah, sure. It's please up there. Please do. It's, and all their info is on our website. It's on Facebook. Um, what are we on now? Instagram. You name Pinterest. it. Yeah. You're, we're out there. We're everywhere because things are getting really real. And I think maybe in a couple of weeks we're going to recap and kind of come together because we've had some awesome guests. And we will um, kind of reconnect and share some of the really exciting things that we're working on. It's oh, all happening. It is. It is. I'm not to say that Brian and I don't have our days where we're like, what is, is what? what? And then we have to talk each other off the ledge and say how amazing things really are. But that's just life, right? The roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Doesn't that happen to everybody? I hope so. Cause it happens to me. So not the ledge. I mean, <laughs> that's a figure of speech for me sure. at least. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm like a I'm like a run away from a good mood, you know. That's how I feel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. No, yeah. Pretty much. That's true. <laughs> a punch That's in, true. or a punch in the face. <laughs> Damn, that felt good. Oh man. So what uh, what we want to share with you today is we have the most amazing guest, Fabio Comana, um, who is we're going to talk about um, literally the godfather of exercise physiology and exercise science has his hand in literally every single major company and convention around the entire world. Basically, if you're a fitness professional or you've ever gone to a trainer, 
he's had his hand in writing the curriculum that has trained you or the trainer that you're seeing. He's he's just, you know, top of the field. ACSM. He's involved with Orange Theory, SCW, IDEA, CamFit Pro, um, over in Asia. It, the list goes on. And we're really excited for you to hear this interview with the Fabio Comana. So without further ado, here it is. Enjoy. are going to get right into this today and introduce our guest, who just happens to be, I would say, the godfather of exercise science and physiology. Who's laughing out there? Um, I cannot wait. That is the Fabio Comana listeners. So if you have not had a chance to listen to the Fabio Comana speak or lecture, you have not caught him around the world. It is about that time to tune in and listen to some of the best and the most recent in exercise science that you can get. And I cannot even uh, tell you how many different um, companies and different places and far reaches his exercise science goes. So I just want to give a little intro and then Fabio, you can uh, fill us in a little bit more, but um, he's got a master's in advanced sports nutrition from SDSU, master's in exercise physiology. Um, he is involved with ACE and AS. ACSM. Um, he's an idea presenter, an SCW presenter. He's featured in articles and books around the world. Literally, he's involved in everything exercise science related. So today is a day to put on those education hats mm-hmm. and hold on to your hats pretty, uh, pretty hard. So Fabio, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. And oh. We have so much to ask you and so much to uh, to kind of pick your brain about that we're going to get mm-hmm. right into it. So, sure. I, I'll take it right from the top. I, uh, I work with a lot of people who are uh, really regaining their health or they're interested in regaining their health and they, you know, they're, they're always looking for the place to start and they, you know, they, I, I don't, I do work with athletes, um, but a lot of times they're, they're people who have you know, maybe uh, received a bad bill of health from the doctor or they just mm-hmm. need to get things back on track. And uh, I was just curious or, one, you know, I was just wondering where, where where do you feel is, uh, you know, I know it's a large question, but where do you feel is, is the very best place to kind of get them to start and get them rolling, sure. um, not only in the gym, but, you know, at home and, and, and in the kitchen and, and uh, mentally as well? Sure. You know, obviously a very relevant question. But, you know, the, the, the fact is that there's been a lot of good science coming out that is actually helping in terms of lowering the barrier to entry. So let me explain that in a little bit more detail. So before, when, you, when, you, Ryan, when you're talking about that type of person who has a bad bill of health, you know, the first thing I'm always concerned about is safety is paramount. So a person should not participate or start any moderate to vigorous type of activity until they're probably screened by their, you know, their medical professional. So if you haven't been active in a while, you know, if you haven't been active for at least the last three months, not a bad idea, you know, to have a conversation that might be a little too short for some people. Some people might be six months to a year. But the idea is always make sure that even though exercise has a myriad of benefits, there is a small risk of harm associated with exercise, you know. Unfortunately, there are times where a cardiopulmonary or a metabolic issue can rear its ugly head, and that could be, you know, harmful. So we should always do our due diligence and make sure that you've talked to your appropriate people to make sure that it is safe for you to participate in exercise or activity. So, with that said, getting back to the to kind of the, uh, you know, the question, the thing I look at is, for many people, 
exercise and I'm going to use the word diet, all right, because we kind of throw that word around very liberally. You know, they're not, they don't just, they don't, they don't resonate with people. You know, people exercise maybe because they feel obligated that they have to exercise. You know, it's a means to an end. Your doctor says you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got, you're in poor health. If you don't start becoming more physically active, you might not live to see your children, you know, graduate from college or get married. You know, some people have this desire that I want to drop 20 pounds. So for them, exercise is something of an obligation. And unfortunately, that's taking them into the exercise unwillingly. And what they're really looking for is that person that comes along and says, hey, I've got a magic pill. You'd never have to exercise again. Guarantee they're going to say I'm on board. So the what, we, what we've discovered is that the barrier that was being set for exercise, and whether it's a reality or, or a perception, is very high for a lot of people. And a lot of times they just feel they're so far down the rabbit hole that they just can't see a way to make a change or to even start. They have this resistance. They have some ambivalence, and they just can't get themselves going. Well, that's where the research has changed because we found through lots of studies that have happened probably – started being published in about 2009, so let's talk talk the last 10 years, have really been speaking to the value of just being active. I mean, even something as simple as standing up. So when you look at the average woman who sits for about 13 hours a day, getting her just to stand up can make a huge difference. And I'll kind of paint you a picture on that one just as an example. So the average American woman now weighs 166.2 pounds. And if she could just find a way, she sits for 13 hours a day during a work week, so Monday through Friday, we're not going to ask her to find more time because that's something that a lot of people don't have and they don't care to find, to say you've got to find more time to go be physically active, to go exercise in the gym. Most people will, will tell you, and whether it's legitimate or not, I just don't have the time or the inclination to do it. It's one of the top so, three This one of the top three most common com- complaints that exactly. I get. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what's happened is we said, well, let's not focus on trying to get people to find more time. Let's start by changing the way they do the things that they do already. Well, what's really emerged out of this is this idea of going from sitting to standing. And so if I take that average American woman in the workforce now, if I could get her to stand just accumulated through her day, two hours of standing on Monday through Friday, so five days of the week, so think of the things she does. She's texting. She's talking on the phone. She's typing emails. She's reading emails. She's in a conference call. You know, she's in the conference room. I mean, I've helped companies change their conference room from a seated desk to standing workstations. If I could just get her to get two hours accumulated in the day, and we do that five days of the week, 50 weeks of the year, what that amounts to is nine, a little over nine pounds of weight loss in a year. Wow. Now, calorie-wise, when you look at the fact that it, the average person expends about a little under 300 calories every time they go to the gym. We're talking about another 100 and close to 120 more visits to the gym. That means you're asking the person to do the equivalent of two, at least two more visits to the gym each week, something that they probably cannot do or don't want to do. So the game changer here has been, you know, just standing up. If you can find a way to do things differently, which means I'm not asking you to sweat. I'm not asking you to find more time. I'm just saying, listen, let's look at the things you do. And let's become more aware of, can we do them differently? And I give people simple ideas, and we start getting that change going. Because the studies are showing that those things like things like that can actually extend your, your – reduce your risk of mortality by up to 30%, yes. right? So it's quite you know, dramatic that we can get such a change from doing something so small. And what I love about that is that it's lower that barrier to entry for that person that says – you know, I know I need to lose 20 pounds. I know I'm in bad health, but I just don't know where to start. I just don't think I can muster up. I'm so far down this rabbit hole. We're just telling people right now, hey, can you stand? Now, granted, movement is better because there are some long-term consequences of just standing and not moving, like blood clots, but it's a great start for people. And what that does, it lets people know, hey, you know, you can do this. So the studies are just, you know, there's one after another. There's Katz Marzik did a great study, and he and his colleagues released a massive study of 17,000 people, and they showed that all the benefits of exercise cannot be wiped away by a life of just sitting. And so they found a direct correlation between the number of hours you spend sitting and how soon you die. And so the way to stop that, stand up and then ideally just move. It's not going to drop the pounds overnight. And you have to appreciate, people have to appreciate that as much as we are misdirected by the media and infomercials and everything. We have to start appreciating the reality. There's a lot of promises out there. They all under, they all under deliver. But the nice thing is that 
if we just appreciate the fact that we didn't put the pounds on overweight, it's not going to come off overnight, but we can just commit to something, it will change. Nine pounds a year without even having to break a sweat and without having to find more time to go do stuff you don't want to do, like squeezing into that spandex outfit and trying to <laughs> squeeze onto, you know, get onto the, get into the gym and get onto a treadmill. We don't have to do any of that. Now, I'm a big advocate of exercise, but I also recognize and appreciate it's not a starting point or something for everyone. So we just need to start moving. So that's on the on the exercise stuff. I think that's kind of a, a big breakthrough in that we've lowered that barrier to entry. And we're seeing similar things in nutrition as well. So I'll give you a pause in case you want to ask questions because I've been blabbing on for a while. I, I just want to po- point out that I, that I actually do a lot of that. I call it stealing time. I say if we can find moments and just steal some time, whether it's, uh, you know, um, I, I actually read about it in a, a, a running article. You know, I coach runners and I do a lot of mm-hmm. work with runners. And uh, it was uh, Greg McMillan out in Arizona. And he, uh, he had them, he had his elite runners getting dressed standing up. And they just would put one sock on a time and they were, you know, balancing and getting some of that proprioception going. And, and, uh, and, you know, it was just like how over a month that equates to, you know, if it takes two minutes to get dressed, he's got 30 minutes of of exercise, you know, twice a day, really. And uh, so I I actually, I actually incorporate that. Even uh, taking deep breaths when you're at a stoplight, uh, you know, it's just a way to kind of de-stress and and, and work, uh, work through some things. So. I, yeah. I I like that I'm on your page. We consider me yeah. on the same page. I also like that you said um, that you actually you have a longer lifespan by standing more because people always mm-hmm. make fun of me and say that I never sit. I I'm never in one place. And now, yeah, I'm w- move over Yoda because apparently I'm not going to die. So that's very that's great. That's great advice that we're going to uh, you know we're going to disseminate to everyone because it is really really important to to keep moving and i know that um you know i've listened to you lecture quite a bit and have listened to a lot of what you said and one of the things i would love for you to to share with our our listeners is that you know you talked about where to start and now you talked about movement and so many people think you know especially with brian and i we we're promoting fitness and health and nutrition but we want it to be something people can relate to um, mm-hmm. Because sometimes we talk to people and, you know, they're like, we want to get fit. We want to be fit. We're going to run a marathon. And you sign up for a marathon and we're like, okay, okay, let's, we've never run a mile before. Let's, um, let's put this into perspective. So, you know, going forward with things that are attainable, um, what are some things that you think after, you know, getting started, what are your ideas on, you know, making something work? I know that we talk about um, functional fitness. It's got to be functional. We talk about longevity. And I, I always say that, you know, I need to take something functional. And Fabio, I'm going to ask you, ready? Fabio, what are the first three letters of functional? What does it spell? Fun. Right. And the first two? If you, <laughs> so, so my, I, I say this all the time, my job in life, if I could just put the N in that functional fitness, um, mm-hmm. and really, you know, Brian and I talk a lot about if it's work, it's not going to work. work. So we want to make things fun or enjoyable. Now, sure. now that we get started, now that we're just standing or up or down or, you know, now we want to work, not work. We want to play. We want to do something mm-hmm. a little bit you know, more challenging to, to get more benefits. What are some ways that you really recommend that you've seen in the studies that have, that have some lasting results? Well, you know, most of the stuff originally when we talking about getting going points to more psychology than physiology. So, you know, self-efficacy is a huge driver, you know, of participation. And in return, participation is a huge driver of self-efficacy. There's a kind of reciprocal relationship there. So, you know, we have to simplify things. And so BJ Fogg has a behavioral change model where he just simplifies everything down to, you know, basic steps. And one of his ideas is you don't ask people to say, starting Monday, you're going to do this three days a week. Every new, every new behavior, so an unfamiliar behavior or a behavior that was maybe once familiar in a long time ago and you want to restart it, you try the behavior once. So first of all, you should believe you can do it. So what we have to do is break it down, you know, to simplify it. So rather than saying, you know, and I've got someone who talked to me just the other day, they said, you know, in five weeks, I want to run a 15K. There's a, you know, a charity, a charity like a, a fundraising run, and it's a 15K. And I said, great. I said, where are you right now? He says, well, my knee's been bothering me, so I haven't been running. I said, well, what are you capable of doing? Don't know. So I went and did a little run. And on the run, basically, 
ran about 3.5 K, so about 1.8 miles. And, you know, we did a little, you know, I kind of did a run walk, which is Galloway's model of getting people to start building their fitness. You know, steady state's not for everyone, so I do a lot of aerobic intervals. And the idea was to kind of start building that. And the person got 3.5 Ks done. And I said, how do you feel? Said, you know, that was, that was a lot harder than I thought. And I'm sitting there saying, and I said, so now let's revisit. I'm never going to tell someone no, but you have to look at it working with the end in mind, working backwards. If you want to get to a 15 K, that means you've got to ramp up your training every week by about three kilometers, right? 1.6, roughly 1.6 mile, 1.8 miles. I said, so that means how many times you're going to run? He says, well, I'm going to run about three times a week. I said, then you're going to have to ramp up, if you want to make this linear, about 0.6 miles every run. And again, I, you know, sometimes we, we think we can do these things because the notion of it sounds fun. But I just think sometimes we bite off more than we can chew. So I always, you know, it's much like instructors. I see this all the time with instructors. They come and they say, right, this is the exercise we're going to do. Here's the exercise. Now, if this exercise is too challenging for you, here's what, here's the, the, the regression, so to speak. And then if you feel this is not challenging, here's the rock star who's doing the progression. What you've just done right there is you've set a precedent. You said, this is the expectation I have of you. So the person, for example, a push-up. Everyone's going to do a push-up like this. If you can't do the push-up, just go down to your knees. No. What you've just said as a precedent is that every, your expectation or the expectation is that you can do a full push-up. And the person who says, I can't do a full push-up is now what? Classified as a regression, which means you're just eroding any self they had. The idea would be everyone starts to make these classifications. When you're ready for the next challenge, you bump up to, you know, extend the knees off the ground or lengthen that lever. And then we can find variations of that. And, then, and when you're getting tired, you go back to your base exercise, which is the vent knee push-up. That way you're giving everyone the opportunity to do what? Build self-efficacy. If they're not being challenged and they, you go to the next step, like you say, okay, you're ready you know, to do the full push-up, there's an opportunity for reinforcement. The other side of it is if you're trying to do the full push-up and I say, everyone, give me 30 seconds of it or give me 10 reps and you get to it, you know, four reps or you get to 15 seconds and you're dying and you go, I say, go down to your knees. Basically, in your mind, you just failed. And so the physiology is important, but I always say the psychology is going to be the driver here. So when people start, you know, I love the fact you talked about fun. I'm a big fan of simplifying and gamifying because if I can get you to stop thinking of this as exercise and look at it as just activity that you enjoy doing. It's a start. So my job is to connect the dots. You want to go play with your grandkid, all right? So what I need to do is show you that these movements are going to, you know, they're going to align themselves with, or they're going to, if you're talking about being functional, these are going to be the same movements you're going to do when you're playing with your grandkid. So it's not exercise. And sometimes I'll always ask the question. I'll play a little game here. So I'll say, Christine, if I ask you first impressions, first thing that comes to mind when I say a certain word Right, you kind of like a Rorschach test, right? What comes to mind when I show you a picture? I'm going to say a word. You tell me what comes to mind. So I say the word exercise. Now, you and I probably have very positive responses <laughs> to that word. Yes, please. We, yeah, we embrace it. We love it. We could say the same thing about muscle soreness. We could say the same thing about, you know, diet. We could say, a, but to all other people, it may be the exact opposite. So the fact that the word exercise doesn't resonate, it conjures up images of pain, discomfort, embarrassment, ridicule, whatever it is, and I keep using the word exercise. What I'm doing is reinforcing this, stereo, this notion that you can't do this. So the vernacular has to change. I just tell people it need, you just need to re, – it's almost like it's a, re, a reframe and a reset of how you look at this. And I want to ask you, rather than me telling you what it is, you know you've got to move more. You know you've got to eat less. The question is why won't you? So my job as a practitioner is not to be understood, but to understand. And so I'm borrowing from Stephen Covey there, right? And the idea is if I just take a moment, stop talking, start asking and listening, I can then understand what you can and cannot do. I might say gym three times a week, that's the way you're going to get into shape. No, that's just me telling you. I'm taking a very prescriptive approach, which is where medicine goes. It's where personal training has come from. No, we need to start coaching. If I say to you, you know, what is your perception of how many times a gym you need to go? You might say, well, I, I think I need to go three times a week. My follow-up question should be, how likely are you to be able to do that indefinitely? If you tell me it's a two out of 10, then I know you don't believe you can do what you're supposed to do. So why are we even starting this in the first place? So I need to take the step back and say, realistically, how many days a week do you think you could do this? You tell me, I could do it one to two times a week. Great, that's where we're going to start. So I use this thing called a decisional balance worksheet. And I, you know, I use it when I work with people, but I also encourage people to use it for themselves. And the idea is to identify what do you get out of this? If you do this, what are you going to get out of it? I'm going to see health benefits. I'm going to see 
I'm going to be feel sexier. I'm going to be able to wear my favorite outfit. I'm going to be get the approval of my friends, whatever it is. What are you giving up? Well, I'm going to have to give up at happy hours. I'm going to have to, you know, get up and go to the gym five times a week. You know, all these things. And I ask them, how important are the things that you're giving up? Someone says to me, well, that's a big little sacrifice. <laughs> I love time with my friends, but I know probably happy hours are not good for me. I'm going to have to give it up. You're not happy about this. So why am I making you sacrifice something that is important to you? I might, you might believe you have to give it up, but the reality is you don't. You have the choice. We could actually keep it in there. There's a strategy called pre-macking where you can kind of incorporate a bad, an undesirable behavior with a desirable behavior to make it not so bad, so to speak. Or you could do what you could just simply say, well, what if you, is there another way that we could achieve that you spend time with your friends? Is it the bar that you like spending time with your friends or is it just the time with your friends? And once I start to understand more about you, then I could change your perceptions. And that's where I think it all starts. When people say, what's next? I've got you standing up. That's great. I'd love you to stop moving. Great. Now we're naturally the progression is into some sort of more structured physical activity or slash ideally exercise. But I have to understand how to move you into that space. Most people have this idea, starting tomorrow, I'm just going to do three days a week. It's They're forcing a habit on themselves. And you cannot force a habit onto someone. You can for the short term. It's not a habit, right? It's just a behavior. To, for, to create a habit, it has to be something that you do voluntarily because you see the value in it. There's something meaningful behind why you're doing it, and it's something that you ought to do, and it becomes something that's done sort of routinely. It shouldn't be something you're obligated to do because then you're just building an animosity towards it. And at some time, you're just going to say, I'm done, the F-U, as you said. <laughs> so I love the fun factor. I love just saying start with things that you enjoy doing you know, to build self-efficacy. When you start to see little things, so how many push-ups do you want to do? I want to do 100 push-ups a day. Great. What can you do right now? I could do five. That's our challenge. Let's go for five. And if you can get a sixth one out, that's great. So we just, people have to just realize to put the brakes on and to sometimes simplify these crazy tasks because the world of exercise, the fitness industry has ramped this thing along so damn quickly that so many people have just been eaten up in the, you know, behind them and they've just been discarded and thrown out. And it's either like, you know, you can do this, you come to the gym and you do this five days a week and you do this and this and it's go hard or go home mentality. It's all this hip stuff. And it's just not for everyone. And so it's great that everyone speaks to that minority, but why aren't we addressing the majority who really needs the help? And that's where I think, you know, we need to start. We need to take a, a step and put psychology in front of physiology because yes, I'm an exercise physiologist, but I'm also, I also teach behavioral coaching at the university. And the idea is to understand and to recognize that people, a lot of people know they need to do these things, but there's some ambivalence, there's some resistance. If you're going to do the right thing is to take the time to think about what can I really do? It may not be what I believe is the best thing, and it may in fact not be the best thing, but you know what? We'll get to that later. The idea is to get the wheels rolling. Newton's first law, right? An object at rest stays at rest. If I get it moving... It becomes so much easier to keep it moving. So if I can get some early victories in you, whether it's in a day, in a week, in a month, when you start to start believing I can do these things, then you're more likely to stick with them. Because my legacy is not to be work with someone who did it hard for three months and then just threw in the towel. I'd rather have someone who started slow for three months. But you know what? Three years later, they're still at it and they're getting better and better and they're happier and they're enjoying it and they see the value of it. So when you say, what else can we do next? I think that's the key starting point, And that's something that the entire fitness world has neglected because the fitness world is all about physiology. And it shouldn't be. At the end of the day, how you feel and how you think drive your behaviors. I need to tap into the psycho-emotional side of you before I even think about overloading your physiological systems. Thank goodness. Because kind of I don't want to take another bio class. <laughs> Pardon? I said, thank goodness, because, you know, I have to go back and review some of my uh, biology sometimes <laughs> and my physiology when I'm talking about uh, muscle movements and whatnot, because I go back and, you know, and a lot of clients, a lot of people only focus on what's my next training and you have to go for an hour and you have to do this. And really, it's it goes back to foundation and it goes back to the mental state, which you just addressed. And I think it's so important for everyone to realize that if you're starting out with your house and we've talked about this a lot that your house, you can't put on the roof. You can't, you know, put the walls up and the windows without your foundation being strong and your foundation sure. is your mental state. So you've got a cracked right. foundation. You're going nowhere with your body and you're making no positive changes because they're not going to be there. Yeah. And then 
you know, just to kind of quickly add on to yours, you know, the physiology is not, and by no means am I discounting the value of the physiology. I'm right. an exercise physiologist by trade, right? That's my passion. So I don't want to say that physiology is irrelevant, but there is a time and a place for the physiology. And when it does, I'm going to borrow your analogy of the foundation. You know, we've got more people getting injured from participating in physical activity. I'm not talking about athletes. I'm talking about recreational exercises, which is the majority of people in the gyms, right, in the, in the fitness industry. We've got more injuries today than we've ever had happen before in terms of a percentage of the population. Injury rates are up 4% between 1997 and 2007. And that's what I'm talking about, chronic overuse injuries, right? Now, the and again, I'm not pointing a finger at anyone, but the, the, the type of CrossFit-style training, that higher intensity, higher work rate, they're very different, higher intensity, higher work rate, very different. But the interval-based kind of high work rate type in workouts that came out, you know, CrossFit leading those off in 2005, is data that hasn't been collected because that original study by the CDC ended in 2007. Now, there's, they're currently collecting data, 2008 through 18. So we'll see what the next go-around shows. But my feeling is that there's going to be more and more people getting injured. Now, that's unfortunate because my belief has been if you are participating in a well-developed program, a well-designed program, your risk of injury should go down, not go up. So that's really a black eye to the fitness industry. Right? So foundational is such a key thing. You know, The word stability and mobility are put out there. I always believe that there should be some form of movement screening. Now, most people wouldn't know how to do a movement screen on themselves, which is completely understandable, but just like most people wouldn't know how to measure their own blood pressure. So that's where the value of a personal trainer, a conditioning coach, a therapist, a physical therapist, whoever it's an athletic trainer, someone who's skilled at this can identify, you know, where your point of entry into this exercise continuum is. We know that people exercise for health reasons, fitness reasons, performance reasons, but even within there, there are stages that I created. So I create, you know, when I was created the idea of ACEs integrated fitness training model, it was built on this premise that movement should be foundational first. That means we do unloaded training. That's your body. We don't need to add resistance to it. You need to learn how to control your body, accelerate, decelerate, stabilize, have adequate levels of mobility to be able to move, perform the primary movement patterns that we need to do on a day in and day in basis. Need to do those efficiently. Then you've earned the right to progress. You don't be, you're not given the right. You earn the right to progress. When you can demonstrate unloaded movement, in other words, you can control your body doing basic movements like bending and lifting to pick something off the ground, standing on a single leg, a push or pull on a spiral or rotational pattern. Now, we can all do it. It doesn't mean you do it correctly because the body always finds a way to get movement done. This is where the value of a professional comes in. He or she could screen you to make sure that that movement is functional and not dysfunctional. Now, if it is functional, just like a screen, like a you know, checklist, like you do a par queue. If you look okay, green light, you move forward. If you don't have the green light, well, we've got to do something about it. And this is where I have my deviation. Those that are getting the green light, in other words, they are moving functionally, sure, then we move them progressively into loaded training, and ultimately they become exploded training. All right, That's kind of my, my continuum of overload is unloaded, proceeds loaded, loaded, proceeds exploded. Because exploded is power training, and power is the foundation of strength and speed, you build the strength component, and then you add this explosive component to it. But if you're not ready for the unloaded training, in other words, integrated training, where I say, let's bend down and pick stuff up. So in other words, you're doing a bodyweight squat, not with your hands hovering out in front of you, because there's no reason you need to do that in life. That just means you don't have stability. Your hand should be at your side, because when you're bending down, you should be picking something off the ground. Where do your hands need to be? That's the movement screen I'm looking for, right? Things of that nature. And if you can't do that, well, then there's a need for corrective exercise. And so this is where that person needs to address these, uh, these dysfunctions in their body because if they suddenly just go to the gym with dysfunction and they start lifting in a loaded environment, they're just adding to their problem. They're exacerbating the risk of injury. It's like if your car starts in the morning and it's making some funny noises, you shouldn't just get in your car and start driving the hell out of your car <laughs> and keep doing that. You know what's going to happen to your car. Well, the human body is no different, right? We just have to be a biological system instead of a mechanical system. But if the car doesn't sound like, you know, all the features and the engine and everything seems to be running smoothly, you have it checked out. And if there's something wrong, they will correct it. Well, the human body is the same way. We should never assume that the human body is always ready to go. We become victims of a very sedentary lifestyle. We're hypokinetic. And that leads to progressive dysfunction. Because we're supposed to stand in good posture, but we're sitting hunched over. Tight hip flexes, loss of thoracic mobility, and it's creating problems 
and or it's repetitive motions. I think of these guys that are rowers, these guys that are riding bikes, triathletes and cyclists. Those runners. They become dis- yeah, they become dysfunctional because of what they do repetitively. And that doesn't mean that they, they – they, just because they've been athletic for 10 years that they can continue to do this. No, it's like your car breaking down. It needs periodic maintenance. It needs an evaluation. And so does the human body. It's not just your blood pressure and your cholesterol level. It's how you move. Are you aligned correctly? Are you moving functionally or dysfunctionally? And when I go to gyms, it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I generally just have come to a term where I just shut my mouth. I don't say anything. I've never really tried to interfere, but I just see things and I cringe. I see people doing these lifts, and I'm looking at how much sort of doses they've got in their spine. I'm looking at what's happening at their feet, and I'm looking at all the stuff as they're exercising. I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, then I've got that intake, that ethical issue. Do I say something to prevent them from an injury down the road or do I just mind my own business? And so generally I just kind of go my own way and I see something that's drastically dangerous. But it happens because we become victims of a dysfunctional lifestyle. And that dysfunction sitting in a chair is now translate, translated into the dysfunction moving in the gym or when we're doing our activities. And so that foundation is absolutely critical. Because we have one body, we got to treat it well, because it only will last us as well as we treat it. Fabio, I have the best, the best addition to this is that the first time that we met was actually you were presenting at CanFit Pro in Toronto a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I was presenting for Playoga. And mm-hmm. for myself, I was a volleyball player. So we were always shoulders rounded passing. And that was, you know, I played in college all around Europe and that was my, that was my thing. So coming back to, you know, squatting and coming into the fitness industry, I will never forget after class you came to and you were like, you know, you corrected some, you know, minor corrections to just a squat that I've always been doing. And it made such a difference because even for myself, for so many years, your body is conditioned and, you know, your pectoral muscles are a little tighter. And, you know, from whatever we're doing, whether people are texting or in front of their computer or driving, again, I was a volleyball player. That was, that was kind of the, you know, the, the positioning that you were in. And it made such a difference. And I loved it because you had said, you know, Christine, you need to, you know, squat as if you have a broomstick right up your back and you had a pause and I will never forget that. And I think it was hysterical because I'm like, where are you going with this? But it, it is so important for, you know, for people to take that advice from trainers, hopefully trainers and, and people that are certified from major, you know, major companies and have the mm-hmm. right, um, you know, education behind them that you should be open to this. And, you know, if, you know, someone comes up to, someone comes up to you to try and help you with form that, that people should take it. Um, that it's not a, you know, we're not putting you down, but trying to pump you up and, and try and prevent injury is so important. So I love that. And I always thank you for that, for, for coming over and making some adjustments because you know what? It, it matters. It really does with longevity. That's what, that's what life is about. You know, it's funny. I did, um, and just SCW, uh, um, uh, this past week in New York, this past weekend before I missed you. I'm sorry. You flew out. Yeah. No, no, no problem. Yeah, I, I'm in and out of those things now. So, but I did a, I did a kind of a squatting mechanics, and you know, here I am with fifty or sixty certified trainers in the room with me, and fifteen percent could squat correctly. Yikes! And you know, Yikes. it's just, it's, it's just because no one's ever taken the time to, you know, to teach them the biomechanics of movement, and that's something you know. Because of my previous injuries playing my sports, and you know, I've played rugby all my life, and of course, you know, I've suffered numerous injuries playing rugby. And so, part of my rehabilitation was understanding, you know, how to do things more efficiently. You know, I went back and played six more years of rugby without an ACL. You know, and I had to learn to compensate and everything. So it just became helped me learn to, you know, and learn to kind of manage my 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 injuries and be able to play with them without breaking myself down even further. And of course, you know, I spent time after my rugby career rehabilitating my body to a point where now, you know, I can do, even though I have ACLs gone in both knees, I've got four screws in the shoulder. God knows how many injuries I have. I can still do anything I want to do probably with, you know, if I'm, 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 I'm not doing something stupid. And it's because I'm very attentive to the mechanics because I realized my body has suffered a lot of breakdown because of my sport. So now my job is to preserve what I have. So when I teach at the university, I teach, you know, you know, we te- we, I teach my students how to do Olympic lifts, everything. I break down everything first 
they do not pick up a barbell until they can use a PVC dowel and they can demonstrate these proper mechanics. And so, you know, and and I'm really, you know, people laugh. They're like, I'm not just a movement specialist. I'm an anal movement specialist. (laughs) And, you know, the idea is because I I don't want anyone to, you know, to break their body down. I mean, it's the only one we've got. And we're not getting any younger. And I've definitely noticed, you know, as as I've gone up in the years that, you know, my body doesn't bounce back like it did. So the best thing to do is to treat it right in the first place. And it starts with movement because we've become such a dysfunctional, you know, hypokinetic society that now all the exercise we're doing, a lot of people are just doing it badly. And while they think they're doing themselves good, they might be doing good for their cardiopulmonary system, but they might be doing bad for their musculoskeletal system. And at some point, something has to give. So, so, so what is the answer to that? I mean, is it more education for trainers? Is it more continuing, yeah. you know, is, is it the fact that, I mean, is it the fact that they get the certification and then they stop learning? Is it, you know, what, what, what's the break there? Yeah, right. I think that's a, that's a huge problem. I think, well, first of all, the, the science of movement keeps evolving. So what it means is we've got to keep our finger on that pulse and keep educating. I mean, that's, it's like any other career, any other career, whether you're a doctor, you've got to stay current with the latest research and the latest science. And, the science of squatting has undergone tremendous. I'm using squatting because Christine mentioned squatting. Like, you know, we used to be told never let your knees go forward, and you know that was the research from 1978, and there was limited research at the time. And since then, we've had numerous studies that have refuted that thing and showed us that you actually should let your knees go forward. It's a matter of how and when they go forward. And the problem is, some trainers, you know, and I don't blame the trainers necessarily entirely. I also blame the credentialing organizations, and you know, I'm part of that because I was. With ACE for seven years, I've been with NASM for six years. You know, the part of the problem is, you know, when someone's starting out, you know, becoming a doctor, they go through all this preparation, this academic preparation, undergraduate, grad, you know, sort of courses to prepare them for the level of science that they have to know. Well, personal training being a vocational program more than an academic program, you know, we kind of just throw you into the deep end because if we had to invest all the appropriate time to give you a physiology class and a kinesiology class, well, you, you might as well go to college for four years because that's going to be the equivalent. So what do we do? We give you this textbook. We have some, you know, online learning, some, you know, virtual classrooms. We have, you know, videos and stuff. And you get a crash course. And the problem with the crash course is you, you know enough to hopefully not be dangerous, but you don't know enough to understand why. And so that becomes the value of continuing education. So that's where trainers should invest into continuing education. Well, the problem is a lot of trainers don't. They think I got this credential. Pretty much I know all I need to know and that's it. And then so, you know, and then they take what they've learned through, you know, on the school of hard knocks on the street and they blend that with what they little they learned in a weekend certification course. And boom, that's that's their product. That they, that's their service that they deliver. And unfortunately, they are, you know, very shy in a lot of the necessary pieces that would, you know, kind of make them what I feel to be fully competent in, in learning themselves and then being able to teach, impart that to other people. And so it really shocks me every time I go to these these conferences and I teach a movement-based workshop, how poorly these professionals who in turn are supposed to be teaching other people to move correctly, how poorly they move. And, you know, I know we all have our limits. Some people have injuries. Some people have limitations that are related to something that's not correctable. But there's still a lot of people that could move well if they just knew how to move well. And they don't just – they just don't take it – you know, they would rather just do what? Go take the latest class in the, on the – you know, the latest fad that's just going to do what? Kick your ass and burn another calorie. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? Maybe you should focus on not taking a class that kicks your butt and you tell me that's the most memorable thing of your weekend because that's not about – becoming a better professional. That's just about serving your own needs. And so it really irritates me when I talk to people at conferences. I'm like, what's the best thing you've got? Take your best takeaway or best experience this weekend. Oh, I went to so-so's class and she really kicked my ass. And I look at the person, I'm like, I just shake my head, you know, disappointment. I'm like, that's the, few, that's the fitness professional we're building. And they, you know, they're like, why? And I'm like, why are you here? You didn't come here to learn one more move. You know, I can teach a monkey how to, 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 to a move. You should be understanding why you're doing the things you do and how to get better at teaching the, fun, the fundamentals, understanding the science behind the, everything, that all your programming, and more importantly, understanding the connection and how to f- promote behavioral change. You should be in business classes, communication classes. You should be in psychology-type classes and in biomechanical classes, not on a workout that's going to burn four more calories. And it's just 
I think this part of this is the mindset of the trainer has really shifted to being more self-focused rather than being client-centric. One of the things that I want to jump in with this, when I remember first speaking to you, you mentioned something about movement mastery was one of the mm-hmm. things that stuck a takeaway from what you were saying. You know, you don't just want to move. You don't just want to go through the motions like you're saying. It's you want to master these. And I think a way to do that, like with squatting or whatnot, 15 years ago, I wasn't teaching the same way that I am now. My body's different. Obviously, I, even though I tell myself I'm getting younger every day, it's really may not, maybe the opposite. Um, but you really have to pay attention to your body. And I know the one thing that for me anyway, as a as a takeaway in general from this is, you know, getting certified and keep going forward with your education. If you're a runner or a, you know, you bike or you do whatever is to keep learning more, not just to do one thing. Brian and I talk about, you know, training on all the planes. And if you're running, you can't just run. That's your sagittal plane. You've got to do other things. You've got to work, you know, your entire body to prevent injuries. And even as, you know, even as a trainer, it's not just focusing on one thing. It's not just focusing on, you know, it's your movement or you've got to be super explosive and die on every workout. It's okay. Once you start looking at clients and seeing them as a whole, putting together all the pieces of the psychology behind it, um, you know, your movements behind it, you know, what are you doing? Are you training aerobically? Are you training strength power? What are you doing? Then you start to see people as a whole, you really start to help them. And I think, you know, Fabio, I think what you were saying is the takeaways. Sometimes there's trainers out there that only see, let's kick your ass. And that's the way to get better. Whereas it's very apparent when I go to conferences now, the trainers and the people I meet that see the whole person. And once you start connecting with those people, it's almost like people have epiphanies. They're like, wow, this is what now I'm getting results. Now I'm feeling better. Now maybe this is more fun because I feel better about myself that it's not about what I can't do. And I can't do 85 burpees in a minute. It's here's what I can do. And I'm getting my body moving and moving is the most important thing. And I know both Brian and I have heard you, you know, kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, exercise is stress and we're stressing our bodies, hopefully in a positive way, but that's not the only thing in life that causes us stress. Um, and I would love for you just to, you know, address that as well with, you know, with everything you're saying, um, you know, we all have different things going on in life and what that does to your body, because sometimes people come to us and say, I don't understand. I'm doing what you're telling me, but I'm still not getting results or losing weight or, and then you sit back and say, all right, well, what else is going on? So what have you found with, with the stress of exercise versus the stress of life, I guess? Well, you've kind of honed in on kind of what something that's become my passion. And the reason being is, you know, I have an autoimmune disease. And, you know, when they decided to start treating it, I'm going back to 1994 when I was first diagnosed. When they decided to start treating it, they would just give me a horrible cocktail of different medications and everything. And it was destroying my body. And, you know, I went into remission at the time I was young. I was like, you know, I knew I could beat this. So I just really didn't give any more thought to it until I had a horrible relapse in 1998. And it put me on a, on a path. And, you know, and I always say life happens for a reason. Like life happens for you, not to you. And that actually gave me a whole new perspective in my life and realizing this connection, Christine, they just talked about stress. So at a very fundamental level, we can look at this, that any time the body perceives a threat to what we call homeostasis. So homeostasis is this idea that we try and keep a nice, stable internal environment within our body, Right. Think of it, we, we, we all talk about core temperature. So we try and keep a nice you know, core temperature relatively stable. Uh, we also have opportunities to correct our blood sugar when it goes up. This is all part of preserving homeostasis. Now, the challenge we have is that anytime the body perceives a disruption to homeostasis, we call that a stressor. Now, there's different types of stressors. That will be, there's what we call eustresses, which are healthy stresses like exercise. But there's also... Bad stresses that we call distresses, such as, you know, starving yourself, you know, bad relationships, you know, financial stress, things of that nature. But at the very fundamental level, if you want to look at this, your body doesn't really know the difference. You go to work out, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, your sweat rate, you start to sweat. Someone, you know, you have a breakup in a relationship, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, you start to sweat. Someone points a gun at you, the same thing happens. So 
as a very at a very primal level, we can say that your body doesn't know the difference, nor does it care. When the body perceives this 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 disruption, it just kicks in the fight or flight scenario. Now there are theories that show deviation to this. There's um, you know Shelley Taylor at UCLA. She's been studying this thing called uh, tendon befriend. That's kind of a stress response that some people have. Um, Walton has been looking at um, a thing called a uh, excited delight, which talks about how, folk, how stress makes us more focused and more concentrating. It gives us an opportunity for learning afterwards. So we adapt to our stresses. They call it stress inoculation. But primarily, I'm going to look at the fight or flight. And so here's the thing. People used to think stress is bad for you. Because if you say, well, the physiology doesn't change, then, you know, like my heart rate goes up, blood pressure, then all stress, in essence, is bad for me. No, that's not the case. You look at Kelly McGonigal's work from Stanford. She's been pointing out how it's really a matter of, of, you know, the stress that you have, and then as Robert Sapolsky says at Stanford too, what has to follow that period of stress is a period of recovery. We're all, our species, our survival of our species is predicated on stress. If we don't adapt to our environment or to the stresses that we're faced with, we perish because the environment is changing around us. So the animals, the species that are no longer on this planet are the ones that didn't adapt to their environment or the changing environment, and they fail to survive. Darwin said survival of the fittest. So stress in itself, in moderation, is not dangerous, especially the exercise. It's a good stress. It allows for adaptation and our ability to do what? Thrive in whatever environment we're living in. But what has to follow a period of stress is a period of recovery to allow the body to return to homeostasis and time to go through its adaptation. In other words, to establish a new, better baseline. Well, unfortunately, that's what we don't have. If you look at our bodies by design, our ancestors, you know, they might have been sitting around in their caves. All of a sudden, a big saber-toothed tiger comes in. <laughs> you know, they have an extreme fight-or-flight response. They survive, and they get past that episode, and then they have a period of relaxation and recovery to restore homeostasis, maybe a little adaptation, whatever that might be, and then the next stressor comes on. So, you know, their stresses were few and far between. Well, we don't have it today. I mean, you wake up late. Because your alarm failed to go on. You're rushing to get to work. There's an accident on the highway, so you've got this commute. You forgot to eat breakfast, and so now you're biologically starving yourself. You get to work, your boss is screaming at you. You know, it just doesn't go away. So really, what we're saying is stress doesn't kill you. It's really the inability to recover from stress that seems to be the demise of our population. So <clears throat> there are times, too, because I don't know what's going on. You said it best. Let's find out what else is going on in your life. Sometimes people come to us, and they're suffering from, you know, muscle soreness, discomfort, they're probably feeling very tired. Well, these could all be signs and symptoms of the body not recovering from stress. And that's where we place the big the big focus right now in the entire fitness and, and performance world is on recovery. It's becoming the big focal point now. We're looking at technology that can measure recovery. We're looking at paying attention to recovery and knowing that your programming is all predicated on you recovering from yesterday's stress. Like I did two workouts yesterday, you know, one – my regular workout, and then I went and did another one to try some to, to, to try something, and then I was going. My plan was to go work out this morning, but I woke up this morning and I said, you know, my body just I just knew my body wasn't up for another workout. So I said, you know, this is an offload for me. I'm going to take a I'm going to take today off, and then I'll go back and resume it tomorrow. Because if I try to work out today and push myself hard, I would have been worse off tomorrow. Well, Fabio, so, was that was that based just on feel? Was that based on uh, heart yeah, rate? Or yeah, I just felt my legs were heavy from you know doing heavy legs in the morning and then running on a treadmill yesterday. Right. And so, you know, combination of doing a heavy leg workout, which, yes, it was a heavy day for me. And then doing kind of an orange theory workout last night where we ran for about 25 minutes. My legs were just heavy this morning. You know, I could feel like just I was I wasn't. So today is an offload day where what I'm going to do, I'm going to do more restorative stuff. So today is going to be a day where I'm offloading from my weight training. But what I'm doing is my preventative maintenance. Today is going to be more of a mobility day. So I'm going to do a light warm up. And then just do some restorative stuff. Just work on that mobility, get blood flow back into the system, help the expedite the the recovery process from all yesterday's work. And that's what we have to start doing. Programmings are becoming very fluid because if we don't pay attention to the stress, and again, the exercise is just one more stressor, even though it's a good stress, the acute impact of exercise is still stressful to the body. The adaptation that occurs later with recovery is a wonderful thing. So we'd like to give you that. But your day is crazy, 90 miles an hour, and then you say, I need my catharsis, so I go to the gym. And what I got to do? I'm so stressed, I want to work out really hard. Now, for the interim, that's great because it's a distraction. It helps you vent and you know release that energy and that frustration. But 
the downside of it is if you get up tomorrow morning and go hard again, you're back, you're back being kind of stressed out. And that's what leads us down this path of overtraining. It's not just overtraining your workouts. It's overtraining yourself with every stressor you have in your life. Now, what I'm also concerned about is what I call chronic stress. And that's, I think, things becoming the demise of our population because the easiest way to describe this is a think of a pie chart. And you've got eight slices of the pie. I'm just making up a number. Imagine that pie chart is your budget that you have for a month. And that's money allocated to each two specific things, your rent or your mortgage, your car payments, your utilities, food, whatever. And let's say this month you get into a car accident where you have to pay more for your car. You don't have a bigger pie. This is your pie. The only way you're going to make your ends meet is to borrow and maybe trim down from other pieces of the pie and allocate more to one slice, paying that car payment. Well, if you take that analogy and look at that as the resources allocated to each of your systems, the cardiopulmonary, the reproductive system, the thermoregulatory system, and we have the same thing. You go out and all of a sudden you do you have stress, and the stress does what? Stress is a fight-or-flight response. Certain systems have to ramp up like cardiopulmonary, thermoregulation, like um, you know, mobilizing the fuel stores, and then certain systems shut down. Why? Because we don't temporarily need them, so we borrow temporarily from them. Now, that's great for an hour because what's going to follow after the workout is a restoration of that pie chart back to normal. That's the period of recovery I'm talking about. But if your stress is ongoing, that pie remains disproportionate indefinitely. And what we're seeing is what's happened is, you know, through the regulation of hormones and stuff, that starts to this, – this, this effect has to stay go, – keep going. And what we end up doing is seeing altered levels of hormones, excessive levels of certain hormones, inhibition of other hormones, and that starts to change the systems. What we see, for example, the most classic one I think about because this is most relevant to a lot of your clients is we hear these ads saying, if you know if you starve yourself, you can actually gain weight – now, while that may not be exactly true, the premise behind it is absolutely true. You produce a hormone in your pituitary gland called thyroid-stimulating hormone, and it goes down to the thyroid gland, which is kind of in your neck area, that produces two powerful hormones that kind of rev your engine. They help you burn calories. 60 to 75% of what you burn in a day is just calories keeping you alive. We call it your resting metabolic rate. Now, if you were stressed continuously and you had elevated levels of cortisol, for example, the quintessential stress hormone, Cortisol can interfere with the production of that hormone out of your gland in the brain, which means you're going to make less of that, those hormones in your thyroid gland, which means you're going to slow down your metabolism. How much? It could be up to 20% a day. That could be the equivalent of about 300 calories in a day. That's 31 pounds in a year. Yeah. That's because you're not, you're not re removing that stressor, whatever was triggering that cortisol spike. And that it's, not, it's one thing to have it for an hour and then have it go away. But if it stays elevated indefinitely... These are the types of things that happen. We see suppression of muscle growth, you know, fat, fat metabolism, you know, um, um, general metabolism. All these systems get compromised because of this indefinite stress that is not going away. So I always tell people, you know, the days of just looking at diet and exercise are long gone. They're built on a, on a springboard. They, they are launched on a springboard to that foundation. And that foundation is managing the stress in your life. I don't think stress is a bad thing. If it's managed, if it's appropriate, if it's within reason and if it's followed by periods of recovery. But everything you're doing, you think about it, we diet and we exercise to do what? Build muscle mass, burn more calories, you know, through the day, increase our fat metabolization, you know, trim our belly fat. All these things can be wiped away in one quick sweep. Forget about the health consequences. I'm just talking about the aesthetic consequences, which a lot of people focus on. They can all be wiped away because you have a life stress that you're not managing. So that's why I think the, I, the world of fitness, as we know, is evolving into wellness, whether we like it or not. It's, it's migrating into that direction because at the end of the day, this whole idea of stress management and stress coping and finding that opportunity to recover is, is more about wellness than it is about fitness. And so that, to me, is, is kind of one of the bedrocks of everything that we need to focus on moving forward. You, you've really just 
in a nutshell, explain how I do things with the health coaching that I do. I, I you know, I, I health coach and and personal train, and I combine them both as much as possible. The one of the greatest assets that I have in my health coaching program is the people that I refer to for uh, the financial help um, that causes uh-huh. the stress, uh, the sure. counselors that you know address yeah. you know things from way back that are still eating at them, um, you know, and and discussions about. Uh, you know, their job that they can't stand and all those things that are, you know, we can eat kale until we're green in the face. Uh, and it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's always that other, like you said, slice of the pie or, uh, you know, I have a, a, a handout that I give them. It's the, it's the umbrella. It's, uh, you know, those panels to the umbrella. If we're missing Uh one, we're going to get wet. Sure. So, uh, Great great analogy. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, thank you. I came up with it myself, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just one of those things. It's it's wellness. It's overall health. It help it, health. It's where, you know, it's 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 where we're not looking. You know, we go to the gym and they come to me and they say, "Fix me," and 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 you know, and it's you know, and it's not necessarily that simple. It's you know, we have to do just about everything. Well, you know, we have to kind of look at those areas that you know. And and I the thing I always say too is that you know where you need to look. You know why don't you tell me? Because they all know, they all yeah. know what what's causing this thing. They're not looking at it from a fitness sense, uh, you know. But you know, the unhealthy is unhealthy. Um, you know, and yeah. if we're, and if we're health coaching, then we have to look at those areas that need to be addressed. And then it it's a, like you said, miraculously makes everything else kind of go better and you get that simpatico of uh, of of behavior and it's just that you know uh, uh, something that really helps yeah absolutely absolutely correct and i love the fact that um you are an exercise physiologist but you understand the mental game how important it is to look at that whole self and i think you know brian and i could sit here and pick your brain and talk to you for hours and hours which is why i think um, I've got some rapid fire questions for you as mm-hmm. we finish up today. And then I think, you know, we have to reschedule you to come back at some point because we've got some <laughs> other topics that we, uh, that we need to sure. discuss. And, um, I know our listeners are going to be extremely pumped to hear some of the things you have to say, because you know what, sometimes, you know, we say them, we hear them, but coming from someone like you to really say, this is the research, this is what's out here, you know, we deal with people too that, you know, this is what I've always done. Well, guess what? What you've always done is not what research is saying. And sure. here you go. So we really thank you for sharing um, some of those, some of those studies, which are really important. So are you ready for a couple questions to end this wonderful time together? Yeah, absolutely. Fire okay. Away. So first off, you have quite the accent. <laughs> Can you tell everyone where you are originally from? <clears throat> well, yeah, I'm a bit of a mutt. So born and raised in Zambia in Africa, probably a nation that most people don't know where it is. I tell them it's next to Texas, but it's not. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> uh, but educated in South Africa. So the accent is a little English because I grew up in the Commonwealth, a little uh, Afri- South African, which is Afrikaans, which is a stronghold of the du- you know Dutch carryover, and then kind of blended with a bit of American. So uh, the quintessential mutt, but that's really what I am. But I'd be, I'm always accused of being Australian and Irish, and I'm neither. Because I tell them I'm not a convict, nor do I drink as much to qualify as an Irish. <laughs> so, no, but that's that's really what it is. It's a bit I, of everything. I thought you were from Jersey all this time. Yeah. <laughs> me, I've had people say all sorts of weird things. <laughs> so now, when when was it that you came to the United States? Oh, God. I've been in the U.S. for probably, let's see, dating myself, but, 30, but almost 30 years, 29 years. So since you were born. Yeah. Okay, you're too kind. <laughs> no, I moved here after high school. Excellent. And then you attended? Uh, so I did my, I did all my work at San Diego State. So I did my, well, I transferred, I started college somewhere else, and then I moved to San Diego State, and I finished my undergrad, and then I did all my graduate degrees at San Diego State. I am black and red at San Diego State. I'm, I'm now a professor. I teach there. I've been a strength and conditioning coach there. I've been an athletic coach there. I've been at San Diego State pretty much. Almost my entire existence in the U.S. has been spent at San Diego State, so I'm older than some of the buildings there. You, you've locked on to a good spot. Uh, San Diego's not so bad. Oh, no, it's a great city. I moved away for about four years. I actually worked in San Diego, but I lived in Colorado, and I was commuting every week. I tried to do that one for about four years, and that obviously was a <laughs> exercise in futility. So That sounds like a lot of stress. Know, yeah, yes, it was, trust me. And so, But uh, coming back to San Diego was 
you know, I got to say, I, I, we're spoiled here. I mean, it's, it's, I, I can't believe we're in the middle of winter and it's 81 degrees today. Yeah, it's 30 here. Yeah. That's well, right. You, know, you can. We're in San Diego. <laughs> That's fine. I'll be on the next flight. You can pick me up right at the airport. I'll come. see you in about seven hours. Right. We're going to Skype through here. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely awesome. So tell us what, uh, what's up next on the agenda. So where are you, where are you going to be lecturing? Where are you going to be, um, you know, talking next? What's, what's up? So U.S. conferences, you know, obviously we're in school, we're in swing now. So the semester I've got, you know, my 800 students plus the semester. So I, I, I've got, you know, during the semesters, I spend most of my, my, most of my energy and resources are driven towards the university and helping the students and that. So we do a ton of workshops. I'm teaching Olympic lifting and things of that nature to all my students. We're doing a, in fact, next week, I think I'm doing a, a session on protein supplementation. So I do a lot of my res- my energy and resources resources are driven to the school, um, but I do have conferences. So let's see what do we have coming up. We have Idea PT um, Institute, which is at the end of February in Alexandria, Virginia. I'll be there presenting, and then let's see. End of March, I have Idea PT South in Dallas, and I have SCW in San Francisco, and then we have oh, we have Ursa in San Diego coming up in uh, in March. Then I have, let's see, we have uh, what comes up in the summertime, tons of conferences between SCW, IDEA, uh, we've got Fitness Fest in Arizona coming up in April, so I've got that. Um, I'm actually jumping on a plane midway through the Super Bowl tomorrow to fly to Phoenix to do video filming on Monday, all day Monday for NASM for their partner in England, so I'm doing that. So it's just a whole bunch of things ongoing, and then, you know, generally when the school's out of session before I teach my summer sessions... I go over to Asia, so I'll be spending a few weeks in Asia. I go do a lot of training and education over there. I have a lot of partners over there. So I kind of bring the fitness education to that part of the world too. So it keeps me busy. It keeps me out of trouble. Sometimes I think I bite off more than I can chew. So we talk about the stress. So I am consciously trying to cut back on that because sometimes, you know, when you live in a city like San Diego, it's nice just to be home. (laughs) It is, and it's probably nice to be home and, and release some stress to go out driving, correct? Yeah, well, you know, it's like jump on my bike or, you know, just, uh, you know, just go do something. It, it, you know, every person has their own catharsis and their own outlets for stress. And, you know, sometimes, you know, driving up and down the coast here in San Diego is absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's, you know, you can walk it, you can ride it, you can drive it. I mean, it's, it's either way you're going to enjoy it. So that we are, I am spoiled here. I have definitely that geographic, uh, to manage stress. So it's really hard for me to kind of say, just get outside and do stuff because most people are like, you go outside when it's negative 20. Yeah. So I generally don't I don't push those ideas because I know how lucky I am in San Diego. I think she was referring to your fine taste in automobiles. Yeah. I was joking um, around with you. <laughs> okay, yes. I go drive I go drive a car, yes. <laughs> yes, I go okay, so I have a nice car. I have a nice little sports car. Fabio told me he he had a guilty pleasure. So, you know, I, lo- I appreciate cars, so that was, you know yeah. had to had to throw that out there that, you know, when yes. when we fly in that, when we fly in from the airport you can pick us up. And I, and unleash the turbos, yes. <laughs> Good for you. I love it. Well earned. I love it. Fabio, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you hey. and hey. for you to share your unbelievable knowledge in exercise science and physiology and and health coaching and you name it. So thank you so very much for joining us today, Fabio. No, thank you guys, and thank you for all the good work you guys are doing. So, you know, let's let's keep this up. As I said, we've got to get the we got to get this message out to the masses because there's so many people that could that could use our help. And unfortunately, the gym environment is not the the only place, and it's not the ideal place for many. So the fact that you've got a public outreach is great. So thank you for what you guys are doing. Oh. Thank you very much. That means a lot. It, it does. And, yeah. and uh, you know, thanks anything, for inviting me. Hey, it's uh, it's our pleasure. You have an open invitation, Fabio. <laughs> Well, we'll catch each other at the next conference, and you can let me know if you have any plans to want to, want to bring me back on more than game. Absolutely. I think so, Brian, right? What do you think? I'm in. Did he do okay? Yeah, no, he's okay. Yeah, Fabio, you're right. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Well, Listen, Fabio. I appreciate the time. Thank you, and um, we, uh, we look forward to speaking with you again. So in the meantime... Let's sign off. My name is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are Two Fit Crazies. And a microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.